Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Welcome to the future of the Internet. It's called Stuff You Should Know. We are the past, the present, and the future, my friend. Yeah. Choke on that, haters. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we're talking about today. And I'm hoping you have some awesome, cool story about, uh, you know, the future or the Internet. You'd think I would. No intro on this one? No. There's a surprising um, dearth of stuff out there about the future of the Internet. Yeah. I found that a lot of people are really, really nervous about putting their neck out because we finally reached a point in time where you can build a career based on successfully and accurately predicting the next move, right? Yeah, true. So everybody is kind of confident about what's coming five years from now, seven years from now. And if we haven't, by the time this thing comes out... Uh, put it on the actual name of this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and put, what is the future of the internet, parentheses, seven years from now? Because <laughs> right. that's really what it's about. Yeah. Unless you want to start talking transhumanism, Chuck, <laughs> which wh- I'm prepared to. I like transhumanism. Not on this one, though. Okay, but um, if you, unless you're prepared to talk about that, it's basically like, what's it going to be like seven years from now? And there's some pretty good guesses. Uh, and one of the people who's not too shabby at guessing is um, one of our coworkers, colleagues. His name is John Strickland. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, you're missing out. Strick of tech stuff. Yeah, his Twitter handle's uh, John Strickland, J-O-N Strickland. Obviously, one word, no other, anything in between. Well, Josh, in lieu of an interesting story from you. <laughs> that was the opposite <laughs> of supportive. No, no, no. We should totally support him. I always do. I love Strick. Even though there's a, a fake internet battle between us that fans like to think exists. <laughs> I know, it's funny. Uh, in lieu of a, a great story then, how about I have a few stats on just the internet as it is and as it ha- was. Then we can talk about what it might be. Okay. How does that sound? Yeah. Um, here's a nice infographic. These all come from the Pew Research Institute, a research center for people in the press specifically. Okay. That's us. The Pew? Yeah. No, the press. press. Are we? Yeah, technically. Okay. We're journalists. Uh, internet adoption. This is just a, a little infographic. In June 1995, about 14% of American adults 18 and over... Adopted an internet. ...used the internet. Isn't that crazy? What year was that? 1995. Okay. Not, 14%? Not, sounds right. Not 1912. Not that long ago. No, but, yeah. I mean, remember, that was back in the day of, like, Prodigy... Yes, and they'd exactly. have ads for Prodigy, and you'd still be like, what the Newsrooms. heck is Prodigy? Yeah. yeah. What was Prodigy, anyway? It was a, um, it was a web server, was web it browser. Was it an ISP? Or? Yes. No. Yeah. A service provider? Yes. Okay. Uh, November 01, so between June 95 and November 01, it went from 14% to 60%. Mm-hmm. And today we stand at about 77%. That's staggering to me. 77%? Yeah, that's not higher. 78% are men, 76% are women, pretty evenly divided. Uh, if you want to go to household income, I wait, what? this is interesting. So, so the 150% is 
is split pretty much even. No, no, no. Seventy-eight <laughs> percent of men use the internet. Oh, gotcha. Adult men, and seventy-six gotcha. percent of women. So just two percent more of men, for some reason. Um, household income. I, I can think of the reason. <laughs> if you make seventy-five grand or more a year, you have a ninety-six percent chance that you use the internet. Sure. And I guess the other four percent are old people that don't understand it yeah they're filthy rich they pick up the keyboard and try to talk <laughs> into it that's ageist that's uh, the next thing that's coming you realize uh less than thirty thousand dollars per year surprisingly 63 percent still use the internet on a daily basis well this is why they call it ubiquitous it is ubiquitous and then finally josh i'm going to finish up with uh what people do on the internet <laughs> what American adults do on the internet okay. on an average day. Let's hear it. Um, 61% send or read email. Okay. And then I found period, like 85% use email. So 25% of people don't check their email on a daily basis. That's nuts. I know. That's those those are what they call the um, relaxed people. Right. Those are type B person. Uh, 50% use a search engine to find information. 40% get their news. 38% go online just for fun. <laughs> is that what, is that the category? <laughs> yeah. Thirty-seven uh, percent use some sort of social networking site. Thirty-seven mm-hmm. um, percent. That's, that's it. Yeah, that was November of 2010. That's probably even higher right now. Thirty-four oh. percent check the weather. Twenty-six <laughs> percent bank online every day. Yeah. Twenty-three percent uh, watch the YouTube mm-hmm. or a video sharing site, and uh, about twenty percent of people look for news and politics, uh, political information. Every day. So just interesting. That's what's, that is the current state of the internet. I think I do all of that except, um, news, or not news, uh, weather. Little commerce, little news shopping, yeah. communication, social networking. Yeah. It's all pretty basic. It is. It is. When you think about it. Compared to 1995, it's not basic. True. Um, but yeah, well, that's the whole point of the internet. It's there to serve us, right? That's right. Like it's supposedly all of our needs right there. And, and what we're seeing right now is a movement toward making accessibility easier and easier. Mm-hmm. Very true. So um, one of the ways to make accessing the Internet easier and easier, Chuck, is to um, increase download speeds or uh, what's called the effective data, data transfer rate. Yeah. And also, uh, I think we should put a disclaimer in here. If you've ever wanted to chew me and Chuck up alive for missing something, <laughs> for screwing up something, yeah. for getting something just totally wrong. All the trolls just went, here's mm-hmm. here's your chance. Um if you if you couldn't get us on the Sun podcast or the epigenetics podcast, here's your chance. So let us know. You can be nice about it. You don't have to be a jerk, but you can definitely correct us because we're open to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the effective data transfer rate, right? That's the uh, the the average rate at which X number of bits um, transfers from one place to another uh, in some block of time. AKA how fast your junk runs. <laughs> you know, right? That's what we're talking about. When I click on this thing, how fast is it going to load this movie? Right, and that's funny because movies are pretty much the go-to standard sure. of how fast something goes. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. Um, Strickland wrote this, and he, one of his first prediction for the future of the internet is that it's speed. Speeds are going to be increased tremendously. Really went on a limb there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you go and look, uh, if you do a search for future of the internet, 
you're not going to find anything different than this. It's crazy. Like no one's pre- no one's sticking their neck out at all. No one knows. But he but he said that um, according to uh, Akamai Technologies, which puts out a uh, state of the internet report on a quarterly basis, the average global data transmission speed in late 2009, which might as well be 1995, yeah. was uh, 1.7 megabits per second. I megabytes could not per second. find the current one. I couldn't either. One reason why is because if you look up stuff like this, all you're going to find is AT&T says it's this fast. Verizon says you can get it this fast. And it's people advertising how fast they can do it. Right. Or it's, hard to it's, get an average. it's some obscure website about, you know, like what sh- what a 4G network should be yeah. or um, somebody broke a record. And in fact, there's a record um, that he mentions from Bell Labs, right? From uh, is this the current record, as far as I know? Yes. Although it could have been from yesterday, and now it's outdated. Uh, this one, this one is pretty recent. Um, I believe it was May, maybe I'm not sure, but it was a hundred petabytes. Okay, what's a petabyte, Josh? A petabyte, Chuck, is a million gigabytes. So that's a hundred million gigabytes in a second that they transferred, or a hundred billion megabits. Okay. That's just another way to say it. Or I guess a trillion bits, right? <laughs> I bet our math is wrong somewhere. So, the, and then of course, that's, that's in a second. So the, they managed to transfer, um, a hundred million gigabytes of information in a second. And what does that mean in DVDs, which are like the Big Macs <laughs> of the internet, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, it turns out that they transferred 22 million DVDs worth of information. In a second. Right. Now, and, this is using a laser. Well, yeah. And I, I need to point out, I did go to the Akamai Technology site, which publishes this quarterly report, uh-huh. and it sat there as a PDF. And I was like, oh, great. Q4 2010. Right. Or Q1 2011. I was like, perfect. Click. You must be a member to access this information. Oh, gotcha. So the point is, though, is not that we know the average transfer rate worldwide. The point is, is what we're getting and what is potentially possible uh, is there's a huge gap there between what you can get commercially, right? And while that while that transfer of 100 petabytes was across a laser, which no one's using right now in a commercial network, not yet, yeah, sure. Um, there's a the record for fiber optic, which is in wide use. Mm-hmm. That's your broadband. Um, it was uh, 26 terabytes, which is um, I think a thousand gigabytes. That's fast. Yeah. So twenty six thousand gigabytes in a second. So on, that's still on a huge, broadband. Huge gap between what is available to us. So the whole point of this is, <laughs> Say is, it again. is this is where we can potentially end up. Is you can download a movie to watch an HD movie in a second, right? Just by clicking on it. What makes me sad is that we're not already at like a petabyte of information transferred already. Yeah, I wonder what all the reasons are. I don't, like on our local area network here at the office, it says like 100 megabytes a second. It's like, no, it, like that's what I could be getting, but it's never what you get. Right. And uh, I, I just think it's, it's the, the internet's fast, but it could be faster. Agreed. That's point one. All right. And the prediction is it probably will be. Wirelessly and landline based. Right. And wireless is going to get faster and faster, and that's probably where people are going to start putting most of their money, if they're not already, in yeah. figuring out ways to make it faster and faster, because wireless is what everybody wants, mm-hmm. right? 
um, if the internet is found in devices, if that's the future of it in how it's consumed, then wireless is probably the basis of most of these devices. And not only that, Chuck, not only do consumers want it, but companies, internet service providers want wireless to be the next internet as well because that FCC ruling from December of 2010 on net neutrality basically said, yes, the net needs to remain neutral unless it's wireless. And they left the door open Mm -hmm. for wireless internet service providers to show favoritism. And this is the, the second part of the John Strickland prediction extravaganza of the future of the internet, where the net's going to be going. That's right. Net neutrality, Josh, is a big can of worms of which we could do an entire podcast, but we are going to only pull one worm from this and simply say, if you've heard the term net neutrality, you don't know what it is. Basically, it is keeping the internet wide open no matter which ISP you're using. You can access the same content as someone else using another ISP. The potential against this would be uh, if an ISP, let's say, cuts a deal with certain vendors. With a site, a website. Yeah, certain websites. It doesn't have to be a vendor, but it could be. Okay. Then they're going to put their juice, their best juice, into making that really fast uh, a fast load. Right. You would get your 100 megabytes a second yeah. download for that website. But and maybe the other website, which may be the competition of that other website, mm-hmm. it's going to make it really slow or just not make it be available at all. Right. And like a cable company, you can't get our beloved science channel. Which is wrong. Yes. <laughs> uh, because, you know, certain cable companies, they got a monopoly in your area and you're like, oh, I can only go with... Um, blank cable company in my area, and they don't carry these channels. So right, or they don't, don't carry the these option. websites. That's the future of exactly. it. Um, and, and that's a big problem because the Internet was, the model of it was kind of based on all the mistakes that have been made in the past, learning from that. Mm-hmm. And then now, once we realize what we have at our hands, it became less neutral uh, in December 2010. Um and it's a big, big deal. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you, We've seen with the Arab Spring how touchy people get when um, you shut down their access to the Internet. Yeah. Revolutions occur, mm-hmm. right? So censoring the Internet in any way, shape, or form is, um, is, is a definite no-no. But the problem with this FCC ruling is that it allows for basically um, financial censorship of the Internet. And one of the problems with this this lack of net neutrality is if you get what you pay for, then the Internet will become divided across class lines. Yeah, the biggest websites that can afford fastest download times and speeds will weed out the mom and pop, quote unquote, of the Internet. Right. And then just based on the um, the just basic capitalist theory, mm-hmm. those websites aren't just going to hang out over here and hope that. You know, the net expands once again. They're going to wither on the vine and die. And we're going to have a pared down, leaner, probably more corporatized version of the Internet. Exactly. And what I think should happen, Josh, and I think a lot of people agree, is to let it be a little more Darwinian, which is what it has been, which is keep it an even playing field and just see who survives. Right. And if you if you're remember when all the the, the startups the big boom in the 90s when yeah. I mean there were so many new commerce sites. Yep. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, the Amazons will survive and 
all the other ones or a lot of the other ones will die off. But Did you think Webvan was going to make it? <laughs> I had a director I worked for that bought a lot of stock in Webvan. Yeah, I have a friend who did. That didn't work out so well. And I'm not laughing. It's not funny. I feel very bad for people who put a lot of money into a startup yeah. and failed. But, but that's my point is it was, a, it was a level playing ground at least. It's whoever does it the best will win out. And the Amazons won out. Yeah. The YouTubes won out. Did you did you put your money where your mouth was and like invest in the Yahoos? Do you think I had any money in 1995? <laughs> Do you think I have any money in 2011? <laughs> if you had money in 95, you would have it in 2011, I imagine. Unless you hung on to that Yahoo stock. Right. Um, one of the ways that, uh, that net neutrality, I guess, is threatened is, is, um, a lot of companies that make devices, um, weren't waiting around to see what, how the FCC ultimately ruled or whether the net would remain neutral. Right. They started making what are called wall gardens, right? So the devices, I should say, by the way, they're called tethered appliances. It's what are we talking about? An iPad. Language. Okay. It's a, uh, an iPhone. And tablet. It's a droid. A smartphone. But let's, let me, Apple's just such a great example of this. I'm going to pick on Apple, but it's not just Apple doing this. Sure. Like um, the Xbox. Xbox Live. Mm-hmm. You can't access Xbox Live through any other device than the Xbox. That makes the Xbox a tethered appliance. You have to have that to do that. Yes. Okay? So um, with the with the iPad or the iPhone, mm-hmm. it's a that's a tethered appliance. Um, you use that to access what's called a walled garden, right? The, the that sounds I, pretty. It does. <laughs> the iPhone, it's supposed to be. It's right. a very nice, pleasant, like um, user-friendly very uh, design-heavy uh-huh. corner of the Internet. It's part of the Internet, but you can't get to it through traditional means. Right. You have to get to it through this device that you buy from this company, and they own this section of the Internet. Mm-hmm. They, the iPhone app store is a part of the Internet that Apple owns that you right. can't get to any other way. So there's this one way to get in there. And as, uh, say, you know, you can't get to the iPhone app store through your Droid. Right. Right, but so you go to the Droid Marketplace, and you, it's you got can, a lot of the same. You apps. can, but let's say, let's say ninety percent of the market share for handheld mobile devices um, went to Apple, and Droid had ten percent, but you can't survive with ten percent. Right, and eventually, it's going to be Apple that creates the user experience of the internet in your so hand. Yeah, that ubiquitous design. I'm sorry to use that word twice, but that that design that's just so. Uh, emblematic of Apple, mm-hmm. that is so many people's experience of the Internet. Yeah, you're experiencing the Internet through Apple's core. Exactly. <laughs> nice, Chuck. But the, the Android has completely different designs, a completely different experience. Yeah. And if you ever put an Android user and an iPhone user into the same room, it, they they are barely talking about the same thing. Yeah. Even though what they're talking about are handheld devices that access the Internet. Yeah. Supposedly the same Internet. And then, all right, think about this. You've got, um, let's say, a, a less popular handheld device these days. The Sorny. Like... The Carnivale. <laughs> <laughs> like the Palm, let's say. The Carnivale. The Carnivale. People are, are designing apps for the Droid, and the companies are designing apps for the Droid and the, and the uh, iPhone like crazy because those are the two biggest ones right. and they want to get it all over the place you feel maybe bad for other handheld devices that don't have people saying 
oh man, I want to design a Carnivale app. Right. So Carnivale users can have that same rich experience. <laughs> Carnivale doesn't have the money. I mean, I'm sure they're trying to get in that marketplace and design their own cool apps, but the apps are coming from the apps are coming from HowStuffWorks.com. Right. And what do we do apps for? We did apps for the Droid and for the iPhone so far. We haven't done a car Carnivale app. We have not done one, and poor Carnivale is going to suffer one day because essentially they're being left in the dust, and the internet experience is being lived through. Two handheld devices. Two. And eventually there could possibly be one. Or, you know, or it could expand in the, the Blackberry, or I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the Strawberry <laughs> <laughs> could, uh, catch up and, and revolutionize things and get way more apps than the iPhone. Who knows? It's true. But just, but it still follows that same model. I mean, ask Adobe. They make Flash, and everybody right. loved Flash. It revolutionized how we uh, how we consume material on the internet, right? The, uh, Apple chose not to uh, operate Flash on its OS, on its mobile OS. Mm-hmm. So any site that has Flash, you just have that little cube, the little Rubik's cube, yeah, and that's it. And Apple's not the least bit apologetic of it. And the crazy thing is, is Apple users aren't demanding Flash. Flash is just going the way of the dinosaur yeah. because Apple chose not to support it. And now everybody's like there's whole HTML5 uh, developer movements out there where this is the next thing that's going to replace Flash right. because Apple chose not to support Flash. Right. How's it? I that's, feel like- <laughs> that's, the, that's the Internet being carved down by people who um, are making decisions for everybody else. How are we doing on this? We good? I think we're okay. I think one of the ways we're getting away with this in large part is that we are, this is opinion. Well, and I know, I feel like I'm in a, in a lake with like the water just under too. my nose because dealing with this tech stuff is yeah. such Strickland's line of work and he feels so comfortable with it. And, uh, I just have, and, and with techies especially, it's not like we're talking about, you know, bear spray and like five people know that we're in over our heads. <laughs> right. Techies really pay attention and they'll be like, these guys are so wrong. I know. I know. And again, if we are, if we are wrong, please do correct Let's us. Start a discussion. We like that. Yeah. Um, but Chuck, I feel like I'm bleeding from under my fingernails from just hanging <laughs> on. Uh, that's two. Number two is that the internet will be a leaner, slicker, more corporatized version of itself now. Perhaps. Possibly. Mm-hmm. There's a, a book I ran across. I haven't read it. I just came across it today. Um, it's by a guy named um, Jonathan Zittrain, Z-I-T-T-R-A-I-N. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called The Future of the Internet and How to Stop It. That's where I got the tethered appliances thing. Gotcha. And he's basically like, we need more, uh, like user generated stuff uh-huh. and less wall gardens. And if we don't have them, if we don't do something now, then we're, it's, it's, we're toast because there's so much cash to be made out there on the internet that it's going to be a big fight either way. Even if there is success in creating, um, a more democratic internet right. or maintaining it, I guess. So that's some of the tech stuff. What's the third one? Oh, yeah. We know this one. Yeah, Nicholas Carr. We've talked about this. Uh, this guy wrote a book, uh, I'm sorry, an article called Is Google Making a Stupid? that got a lot of press. We've used it in presentations. We've used it in podcasts. And the yeah. hypothesis is that the way you navigate and read things on the Internet is not like book learning and book reading. It's not deep vertical absorption. Right. It's horizontal and it's spottier, right? Vapid absorption. And it's basically his argument that 
just because we have this library of information doesn't mean that we're using it to make us smarter. Well, he was saying that it's it's so revolutionized how we learn by the access we have to information mm-hmm. that it's changing our brains. We're being cognitively restructured. I believe that to a certain degree. Oh, I do too, man. My attention has decreased spectacularly over the last four years since I've worked here. Well, and in, I I did a Stuff from the Future podcast uh-huh. uh, this week. It's one of our video yeah, is it podcasts. Out? It is out. Awesome. Tell them everybody about it real quick. Stuff from the Future. It's a podcast where you, someone just muses on something for about five minutes on what it might be like. Okay. Mine was personal communication, and my point that I was making is that people are not communicating the same way since the advent of the smartphone. They're not even talking on the phone as much because of texting. Uh, they're not talking face-to-face, and what does that mean a hundred years down the road, are people going to be freaked out having when someone drops by their house and knocks on the door, or when someone? I'm already close to that point. <laughs> or when somebody has a personal eye-to-eye confrontation with you. I'm right there, buddy. I'm the future. <laughs> You're looking at it. So I argue that all you see nowadays are the tops of people's heads instead of eyes. All you see is people looking down all the time, everywhere. Yeah. And that we're not flexing. We can't remember anything. We don't have the opportunity to remember something we used to know and flexing those deep memory muscles because you can hardly get the word out who was that someone before someone has looked it up and told you who it was. Kato Kalin. <laughs> so there's no more tip of the tongue experiences. There's no more deep memory, but we're flexing different parts of our brain, like how to use my thumbs <laughs> to type. Right. So I think but is it's that, making us stupider. <laughs> so that's your that's your summation. Well, I mean, it's certainly changing things, and I don't know if it's for the better. I mean, we have immediacy of information, but the way Strickland took it was that Carr was saying, like, we're taking our um, need to keep this information, and I know he made this point in this article, uh-huh. but like, we had to 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 un- to know the right answer to something before we had to know it. And now we don't have to know it because we have a repository that anybody can access through their phone now to go get the answer. So it's like a giant collective brain that we're coming to rely on. Exactly. But what happens when that brain malfunctions or that brain is being fed certain information? That's false. That's false or that's, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be like 1984. Or but dumbed down. If it net neutrality, if the government gets more involved and all of a sudden, I mean, look at what's already going on in China. They're being fed specific information. Right. And that could one day be our truth in reality. Man, that was heavy. <laughs> dystopian. Yeah. Uh, with my, my um, concern about it, it's kind of closer to yours, but it's more that like, my brain is literally being restructured yeah. physically through plasticity that instead of being able to absorb something deeply, I'm just getting the bits of information I need out of something very quickly. And then, you know, when that brings up another question, I just open a new tab, search for that question, start putting stuff together. So I'm able to connect seemingly disparate ideas into a third hybrid idea. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily getting it that, you know, when something clicks, mm-hmm. it's things don't click anymore. But th- those are such beautiful moments. When they do click? The tip of the tongue moments when you finally think of that thing, it's such a rewarding experience and that's going away to a large degree. Yeah, when things just clicking when you know it, is that what you mean? 
Yeah. Like it's or, not, what you're saying isn't clicking. No, what I'm saying is like the tip of the tongue moment, like when you can't think of something like, oh, what was it? What was it? And when you finally think of it two oh, hours yeah. later, yeah. it's so great. Yeah. But that can't happen anymore because some dummy won't even give you the chance to think of it. It says here it was uh, Jackie Chan. <laughs> we actually at Max FunCon at um, uh, the after party in, in Hodgman's room, he was about 12 folks hanging out and he'd said, this is a Google free evening. He said, no one touch your phone. Yeah. Leave it in your pocket. And we spent three hours talking, and many things came up that people were like, oh, what was that? What was that? And it was it was like, like no one like drowned or No, anything. it was like the old days six years ago when you would have these awesome conversations and not be able to think of something yeah. and be like, oh, man. And then the next day, you would see one of those people and say, dude, I thought of what that was. And uh, I don't know. I think the smartphones are ruining things in a lot of ways. Yeah. There's a lot of problems they're not connecting people like they're kind of putting up walls in a lot of ways yeah as they also connect it's a conundrum uh, i read something once i think we should end on this um there's a rule of thumb out there that uh if it, it's basically etiquette of when you can use your phone in a social situation where i feel like if you follow it you can still be a normal person <laughs> but if you wouldn't if you wouldn't pull out a crossword puzzle and start doing it right. in a social situation, you shouldn't pull out your phone. Right. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. You got uh, anything else? Yeah, I'm going to just go over a few of these. Um Sarah Kessler at Mashable wrote a Oh yeah, these, sorry. A, a cool thing, um six web pioneers on what the internet uh, of the future will look like. Chuck found five satisfactory. <laughs> and so we'll just briefly go over a couple of these. Um Barry Glick, founder of MapQuest, mm-hmm. you know, the Glickster, he says, uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier, he said, right now the Internet has been very computer-oriented, and that's the association you need a computer to connect. He said that's going away, of course, already, but basically he sees the future of there being no boundaries. The Internet is just this invisible, present power supply, and all you will have is uh, access devices. Yeah. There will be no more television. There will be no more telephone. You will just have these devices. Everything crammed into one. Yeah, that tap into the brain of the earth. Interesting. (laughs) You came up with the brain of the earth thing, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Do you want to read any of these? Uh, Yeah, I liked um, Jeremy Stoppelman, who uh, is the CEO of Yelp, and he talked about augmented augmented reality, which kind of um, dovetails with his business. Very well. Um, because he plugged one of his uh, right. applications. Well, there's an app for Atlanta I read about recently where it's like you hold up your phone, this map feature mm-hmm. um, pops up like uh, augmented reality on all the stuff that's showing up on your phone of the area around you. Like, here's this restaurant special today, or um, this is a great place to go dancing, if that's your kind of thing. But I don't think the augmented reality says that part. But it's... um. I mean, it's already here. That's that's, I, I think, extremely interesting to me. That it, it's like this. Do you remember those um, the human body and like the um, little celluloid? Yeah, you could peel back. Right, and mm-hmm. it was like the skin, and then you peel back the skin, and there's like all the muscles. You peel that back. There's the organs and the nerves and all that. It's kind of like laying one of those over real life. I just right, think that's right. really cool. I think if you peel back the final one in those books, it just should have your face. Like right around the abdomen, <laughs> but it but it's dead. It's like rotting. Uh, that's horrifying, actually. Uh, Ryan Ozemek, president of Open Source Matter, sees uh, more and more focus on the cloud. 
Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I yeah. It's, Obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, these guys aren't exactly going out on a limb. Uh, Dries, uh, Bayetert, <laughs> the founder of Drupal, uh-huh. thinks uh, more websites within a single organization, uh, more different devices that need to consume those websites with different experiences and more social things. Yeah. So basically more of what's going on is what he thinks. Exactly. More of the same. Interesting. So I guess I want to say if anybody wants to uh, to tell us what we got wrong, that's fine. Or speculate on what you think the future is. We'd love to hear you stick your neck out. So send us an email. We'll give you the email address when we're finished. But if you want to learn more about the future of the Internet, uh, type in future Internet in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And that brings up what, Chuck? Uh, Facebook asks Josh and Chuck feature. And <laughs> we call it something different every time. All right. uh, we did this, th- th- these are running concurrently on the previous show, where we post on Facebook, ask us whatever. We'll buzz through as many as we can. Some are funny, some are serious, and we will treat them uh, thusly. We'll treat them all funny. Uh, Alex Embry, do you guys prepare what you say together uh, or by yourselves before you record? Alex, we've answered this before, but for new listeners, we do not prepare. We do not go over stuff. We try to just prepare separately and have a conversation. Yeah. And record it. Pretty simple. That is it. That's the mojo. Um, I got one. Have we ever met uh, Jad and Robert from Radiolab? No. I have not, but Robert Lamb of Stuff to Blow Your Mind has interviewed him, uh, one of the guys on the phone. Yeah, he's a big fan of theirs. Yeah. I am too. They're great. He's a huge fan. Uh, what you got, Chuck? Uh, what music are you listening to right now? Attending any concerts this summer? <laughs> I'm hopefully going to attend Huey Lewis. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm listening to the new Bonnie Vare. It's good. New My Morning Jacket. New PJ Harvey. Tyler the Creator. Have you heard this kid? No. Is he a rapper? Yeah. Is he good? He's a part of that group. Uh, odd, odd future uh, will destroy the earth or something like that. It, they're, they're these like 19-year-old kids out of L.A., and it's just crazy talent. I'll check it out. It's really good. And it's very creepy, too. Like, they're, I wouldn't... Kids shouldn't go listen to this stuff. No? Yeah, they sing about some pretty awful stuff. Lots of snakes? Yeah. Snakes. Uh, I'm listening to Herb Alpert and Chuck Mangione today. <laughs> That's what I've been listening to. Uh, I am going to see Dylan in a couple of weeks. Are you? Mm-hmm. Good. Fred Dylan. <laughs> Matt Dillon. <laughs> Matt Dillon. Uh, my Morning Jacket with Nico Case. Going to see them in a month or so. Oh, that's a good uh, mashup. Yeah, good twosome. Yeah. So that's all I have on the concert schedule. Tapes and tapes, actually, in a few months, too. Yeah. And Steve yeah. Mountain, he's coming, too. And you saw... Um, who did I see? I saw Dinosaur Jr. recently. Oh, yeah. How's that? It was good. They I told played, you I saw uh, Jay Maskus at the airport. Yeah. He was not looking good. He, he, was, he was probably looking exactly the same as when I saw him then. A little haggard. Yeah. Still, it's a good show. All right. Loud. There, I, I said it. It, it was is. loud. That's what you can say about Dinosaur Jr. Um, let's see. What's my drink of choice? Chuck, what's your drink of choice? Uh, I like a good gin and tonic or a good bur- the, bourbon on the rocks. You on the gin and tonic right now? Yeah. I'm on this one called Guadalajara Sour. It's awesome. Really? I make a modified version of it that I'm not going to give the secret away from. Okay. But um, it's it's good stuff. Lately, I've been by, uh, Decatur has a craft beer store called Ale Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. And they have uh, they sell growlers, 
So you buy your growler for like five bucks, and okay. then you just go up there, and they have like eight beers on tap, and you can fill it up for. Can like you six ride off with it on your bike? Uh sure. <laughs> there's a there's a um, little uh, market by Dad's garage that has like a wine island, and it's like really uh, they sell it by the measured amount. Huh. And that you go get a little prepaid card and you slap your card in there and you stand in the middle of this market and drink your wine. Wow. And start laughing at people after a couple of glasses. That's right next to Emily's shop. I'm going to have to check that out. No, no, no. Not in Decatur. It's um, Dad's Garage. Oh, okay. I was thinking uh, Push Push. Yeah, in Inman Park. Yes. Uh, Brian T-Bone Perkins. D- Donald Duck versus Daffy Duck. T-Bone Perkins? T-Bone Perkins. Yeah, Brian T-Bone Perkins. Donald <laughs> Duck or Daffy Duck. Oh, yeah. Um... He says in a sing-off, but I'm just going to say, in general, easy Daffy Duck. Like, that's who you'd rather hear? Dude, no question. I was I was Looney Tunes all the way. I was not a Disney kid. I like Donald Duck. I heard when I was a kid that he was banned from, like, Sweden or something like that for not wearing well, pants. No, we heard that in the podcast. I heard it a long time ago. Oh, but the lady confirmed it in the podcast. Okay. Was it Sweden? A comic. I think it was Sweden. Yeah, that's right. She did send the comment. Yeah. What was that, like two years ago? Uh-huh. That was a long time ago. You got any more? You want to do one more each? Yeah, one more each. Go um, ahead. Let's see. How is Nick Cage an Academy Award winner? Uh, because of Raising Arizona. Well, that's not what he won for, though. It doesn't matter. He won because Leaving Las Vegas, he was awesome in that. He's, he's good. And the competition that year was pretty weak. That's a depressing movie. Richard Dreyfus and Mr. Holland's Opus was that year. Anthony Hopkins is Nixon. Uh, Massimo Troisi and Il Postino. I thought that guy won. No. You're thinking of Roberto Benigni. No, no. I know, no. but Il Postino was like the just the it darling of the... film, yeah. Okay. And then the other, actually, Sean Penn and Dead Men Walking, that was his only real competition. He didn't win? No, he should have that. Wow. Although Nick Cage was great. Yeah. All right, my last one... Um, Ever want to do the show without wearing pants? And my, that is uh, Cody Heineman. And Cody, my answer is, what do you mean? How about with wearing pants? <laughs> hey Nice, Chuck. <laughs> I think you answered for both of us on that one. Yeah, Kelly Cronley asked about Nick Cage, by the way. We yeah, I'm sorry about that. Things. I haven't been uh, saying people's names, have I? I don't know. I haven't. Sarah Chrysilius asked what our drink of choice was. Okay. Uh, well, if you want to ask us questions, go on to Facebook for once in your life. Why don't you? Uh, that's facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Um, and you can also tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. And you can send us email. Remember, if you have a prediction for the future of the Internet, we want to hear it. Right? We'll pass it along to all these so-called experts. Uh, you can send us email at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?